You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Secrets of Analytical Leaders. My name is Wayne Eckerson, your host for the show. One of the hardest parts of running a data analytics program inside a large organization is governing data and reports. It's simply too easy for the definition of core data elements and metrics to get out of sync and reports to contain conflicting information. We are fortunate to have with us today someone from whom I've learned quite a bit about data and report governance. Angie Davis has straddled both the business and IT worlds for more than 20 years. She has served as a business analyst in several organizations before switching to the information technology side of the organization where she has run analytics teams. First at J.D. Irving for six years and more recently at Brookfield Renewable where she is an IT director. Angie has a degree in mathematics and electrical engineering from Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Welcome to the show, Angie. Thank you, it's great to be here. Well, let's dive right in. What would you say are the key challenges companies face when trying to maintain consistent metrics for running a business? Well, I think every business is different and everybody has different challenges. However, I know data quality is probably one of the biggest challenges that we have in our organizations. Also changing direction from the business, measuring and the actual correct indicators that they want to achieve and getting the correct and timely metrics. Uh, so what would you say it takes to get business to own those key metrics and definitions and, and feel some degree of responsibility for managing the, their quality and accuracy? We truly need somebody in the business to have that ownership and there needs to be a role within the business to own that. Traditionally, a lot has fallen on IT and we're not considering data as a true asset and looking at it accordingly as an asset. And I think that in our organizations, business needs to take a, a more important role in owning that data as an asset than what previously has been done. Um, you know, that's very easy to say, but probably really hard to do. You know, it takes a mind shift from both business and IT. Are there any tricks to the trade in making that happen? What we've done in the past is it's true communication, I believe, between IT and the business, and not just communication, it's developing a partnership and working together as we move forward so that IT has the responsibility of serving up the data on a platform of some sort, and the business then needs to take that data and own that data as it moves forward to make the business decisions on the data. You know, it's such a shift like this takes often a cultural change. Um, and sometimes it, it requires strong leadership from the top. Would you agree with that? Yes. Plus, you also need the ground roots individuals working together to make it happen. So there needs to be that consensus from, I guess, the top, so to speak, on understanding where we are going with our data and where we, we are going with our business. But we also need that grassroots of being able to work together and have a couple of key people on both the business side and IT that are joined together to make it work. So you have to tackle it from both the top down and bottom up. Correct. You need buy-in at the top and you really need that grassroots development at the, at the bottom level. Now, for a lot of 
clients that we work with, it seems that the only thing that actually starts to catalyze that movement, both top down and bottom up, is a lot of pain. Uh, yes. Pain. <laughs> so you would agree with that? 100%, yes. It's one thing to say, um, IT, get the data, business, you own that data. It's another thing to put it into practice. So what kind and degree of pain is usually required before the wheels start turning on this thing? Um, it depends on how you, you approach it. And if you put any processes in place, uh, we've learned that there are different processes that, that we've kind of put in place to help uh, make this a bit better successful um, engagement between the two, business and IT, such as following some basic ITIL foundation uh, practices, um, having some change management, also focusing on some type of intake process and how we're going to work this together, and a true communication plan uh, working together and building that community or collaborative team so that it's not an us and them, it is more of a we need to make this work. Um, well, you talked about having the business take ownership of the data and it's a joint responsibility. What kinds of tasks, activities, and time commitments must the business agree to? Initially, it is a lot of time. Once you get your process in place, it, it comes down to more just of a checklist or if there's a net change to your business where you need a net new report or a net new model or some analytic um, overview, uh, there may be a bit more engagement but it definitely is a driving force of change to have somebody dedicated to this initially. Right, so maybe you could talk about the roles that people play. Um, and are these full-time roles, part-time roles? Are they in the business, in IT? What does this look like organizationally? So historically, everybody was always looking for that data scientist or that unicorn, so to speak. And we've come to realize they're really is um, not a person necessarily that can fulfill that role. So bringing together people from IT and the business on a joint project full time until we understand what we want for data, how to create that platform, what indicators we need. And then also we need to continually review that and make sure we're continually changing as the business changes. So it truly is a full time role um, for the duration of your project. Now, as for your project, it depends on the maturity of your business and the maturity of your analytics or your reporting that you have today. Do you currently have a data warehouse? Are you using a data lake? Do you have processes in place for um, making changes to reports? Um, are you doing data visualization? Are you doing any sort of one-off analytic modeling? So it really depends on where you are on the maturity of analytics on how much effort it will take from the business. But in the experience that I've had, you really need to have a full-time person on the business side that lead that. And as they lead that, they may need to pull in other business resources in other areas to make it successful. So starting out with one person full-time and then seeing where you are on the maturity curve of analytics, you may need to pull in other people. Uh, so that's interesting. So what would be the title of a, this person that you're talking about? Um, it really depends on, I guess, your organization and your roles and, and how you set your business up. A lot of people will call it 
a business data lead. A lot of people just put it in a quality team and you have a quality management team and then the data resides in that. It really truly depends on your business and how you want to drive it forward. Right. So this person, it sounds also like they kind of coordinate a cross-functional team uh, in the business as well as with IT support. Yeah. Correct. And I mean, people call it data stewardship. There's all kinds of different names if you research this out there in the industry. Right. Data steward, I guess, is the most common name. Data steward, data owner, right? You would agree with those terms and those roles? Yeah. So those aren't full-time roles. So those, uh, in contrast, are more part-time and probably voluntary roles, right? Well, yes, historically, but I believe that you need to take that role and truly understand your data, make it full-time until you are at a maturity level that you trust that data, that you trust your process, that you trust what you're getting, and you're getting what the business needs. And until you're at that point of owning your data and understanding where you're going and driving business decisions and insight off your data, then that role can then become more part-time. So we're, we're talking about the data lead, not the stewards and owners now, right? Your true lead, yeah. But that lead sometimes can turn into owning a little bit of a data steward role. In contrast, though, the stewards and owners, those are part-time roles, right? Fair, yes. Um, now, you mentioned a, a number of processes, uh, ITIL um, and a, a few other things. Do you want to elaborate on those processes and what form they might take at some organizations? Yeah, so at a couple organizations that I have been at, um, what we have done is we've focused IT on owning the platform and serving the data up for self-service analytics. And then we have somebody on the business side as a business lead uh, that takes that data and vets it and ensures that it is correct before we start sharing it out there with the business world. So again, that's that partnership. And in order to achieve that, I know on the IT side, we use the ITIL change management process um, to make sure that we are following a true move it from a development point of view to a production environment or platform that the business can use. And we've got different things within ITIL that does peer review as well as uh, doing some testing before it serves up and as well as getting that final approval from the business to make it into a production platform. Right. I remember you uh, spelled out that process in detail for me and I thought it was, it was quite interesting so ITIL is broader than just data and analytics, I believe, uh, but there's usually a, at least in the organizations you work for, you had a data and analytics track. Correct. So we took that ITIL foundation and then we spun it for an analytic track within there, but it all still has the same milestones and checks and whistles that a CAB or an ITIL change management process would have. What I thought was interesting is that you had... Um, well, numerous gateways, and those gateways in general were like, uh, I guess, governance review committees uh, that would review proposed changes or new additions, either to a report or to uh, you know, date, new data elements, new data sources in a data warehouse. Um, what is the best way to run those governance committees so that they're not an obstacle to getting things done? Um, uh, rather that they, they facilitate governance. 
Because I think, as you and I know, that if, if the governance is too onerous, then the business tends to, uh, to kind of circumvent it and do their own thing, which, which undermines everything. Yes, but we aren't looking at ourselves as business on IT. We're looking at ourselves as an analytic team, and we meet together to understand what that means to drive the changes in the business. So depending on where you're at, you can meet more frequently or, you know, once a week or once a month or wherever you are in your timeline, so to speak. But it is a joint collaborative effort that you work together side by side. It's not something that um, IT is spinning up and then when the business wants to make a change, IT throws this roadblock in front of them. We work together as a team in a room and we cross these hurdles and create this documentation as we're moving forward in the process. So it's not an after thought. It is actually part of the process of moving the new data into your organization together with the business and IT. Right. What I thought was interesting is that you ensured that that process was agile and fast. And I think you even applied uh, service level agreements to it, right? We did, yes. Uh, at, at multiple levels. So I think there, the initial gate was the, uh, the, the overall IT change committee, and they had like, a, I don't know, two or three day turnaround time. Yeah, and so if, if the business needs the data, we serve it up, and then as an after the fact, uh, we make sure that it follows our process so the data is vetted um, by both the business and IT to ensure its accuracy. Now, one of the, I guess, preconditions for data quality uh, that you hear uh, often is that you should fix data at the source. How do you actually make sure that happened? Because so many companies that we work with are just kind of inundated with bad data that's being fat-fingered into by you know, operational folks. So how do you maintain that level of quality that's actually coming in in the first place before you even start to create data elements and report changes and things like that? So we, again, that's a top-down decision with your organization, and you need the buy-in um, of your leadership to ensure that it is a single source of wherever it's coming from. Uh, we actually have tools such as Alteryx that you can massage the data, filter data out that's bad, and continue on to make sure that you have the to make the decision you need it um, and filter out the bad data, so to speak. As long as the business is aware of that risk and the data is being filtered out or being changed within Alteryx, um, we move ahead. Then what we do is we run a report within the tools we have, such as Alteryx, to see where those anomalies or those changes are made. We run that report and give it to the data stewards, and then they actually go back into the source system after the fact and make the changes back at the source. So we're not stopping the business from doing the work, but we are highlighting that the data is incorrect, and then we have a separate stream to fix the data back at the source. So we're not making the change and waiting for that change to happen at the source before we run our reports. Uh, we're making it on the fly with the tools that are available, but then we run an audit um, to ensure that it is then corrected back at the source at a later date. How often do you work with the source systems owners to actually change the process to ensure that the process delivers good quality data in the first place, minimizing the need to fix things at all? It depends on how critical the application is. If the application is very critical, a lot of different people are in there running reports, the source system needs to be very accurate and we're with them all the time. 
If it is another application that only one or two people use, they know the data inside and out, it's not critical for your organization, uh, we may take a more relaxed uh, view of that data and uh, take our time in updating the source system. So it really depends on how critical that application is and how critical that data is to your business on how often and the frequency that we get back to the people and owner of that application. Right. Right. I know for a lot of large companies, changing uh, a process that's being run by a core application um, is almost impossible, uh, but obviously very critical. Uh, and so many applications and systems and processes at large companies were built without thinking in advance uh, about the data and the applications that would need that data to do analysis. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any best practices for working with source systems owners and process owners to make them more aware of, of, of the downstream implications of the data that their systems generate. I think that's one thing that we really have to be better of. Uh, we run into this all the time where we're rolling out a brand new SaaS product or a new application within our organizations and information delivery or analytics is an afterthought. So after it gets in, we, we say, okay, how are we gonna report on it? We really need to take ownership of that and make sure that analytics is in the forefront of everybody's mind when we actually install a new application so that we can understand what we're getting when we finish. Um, because reporting or analytics or whatever is what's driving our future need. And so we can't be an after effect anymore. We need to be right in there as soon as the project starts. So we can understand what we need or what we're getting out of that tool. Yeah, I, I concur wholeheartedly. Uh, you would think in this day and age, you know, where being data driven is uh, the key to success in the marketplace, that that will change. But analytics has always been an afterthought, unfortunately. It has. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, let me switch a little bit here and ask you about a few tools that seem to be getting a lot of momentum these days. One is a business glossary. I guess that's different from the data dictionary of old, which is more IT-oriented uh, and geared towards collecting technical metadata. Business glossary, I think, is more designed to help business users understand the definitions of the core terms and elements that they use in their reports. What do you see as the, the role of a business glossary? Is that something that's worth investing time and energy as an organization to develop and maintain? I guess it depends on what you, you call it. But I think that as long as we're speaking the same language, um, it can be a glossary, it can be a catalog, it can be whatever you call it. But it is crucial that we are all speaking the same language when we talk about a, a data element. So yes, I think that we really truly need to invest into that technology or, or the glossary or definition or whatever we say going forward. The key that I find is that um, a lot of tools we have now, you can actually, it's not, IT is no longer a black box anymore. You can see your workflows. You can see how that data element has been built or how it's been filtered or how it's been calculated. So IT is no longer a black box that it used to be. Um, so it depends on where you're at, the tool set you have, on how much effort you have to put into a business glossary 
versus looking at how you've got your tool sets organized and can follow what's happening with a data element. Right, right. You know, I'm thinking of the old bill it and they will come. Is that true with the business glossary? If you take the time to create it and update it, will business users actually use it? Well, if it's a Word document tucked in somewhere on a SharePoint site that's 50 pages, probably not. Um, so we've got to be a bit more creative on what that business glossary looks like or how it's put into use. And what would you recommend as a best practice? We have to be very careful when we implement those because they're very critical to the organization, but we don't want to have it in a 50-page Word document. It truly needs to be accessible to anybody uh, with a click of a button as technology increases. And I know that that's very costly uh, right now, but I think as things progress, uh, there will be more tools available for us to be able to ensure that the business and the glossary exist um, with an online engagement, so to speak, between business and IT. Now, one thing I learned from you was the importance of watermarking your reports. And that little, I'm going to call it a trick of the trade, seems so transformational uh, because finally when a report carries a seal of approval that it's been through the review process, the governance review process, it makes life really simple for the business users. They now know um, what data, what reports are safe for making decisions. And they really glom on to those seals and they don't really want to use reports that don't have them uh, for the most part. So it helps cultivate a, a culture of governance inside an organization. So has that been your experience as well? Oh, 100%. When we started with the idea of our watermark, which is just a small check mark in the bottom right hand side of our dashboards. Um, it was to senior execs um, so that they could somewhat trust the data that their business subject matter expert reviewed the calculations, reviewed the report, and put their seal of approval on it. IT also looked at that report and ensured that it was done clean, efficient, that the workflows created were smart um, and accurate uh, to serve that data up. So that check mark served as IT signed off as well as the business signed off. So when those reports were shown in meetings and you could slice and dice those reports on the data for decisions and insights, uh, it was very quick for the people at that meeting room to make decisions on the fly based on the data that's presented. After we had success at that level, almost everybody was coming to us to go through our government process to ensure that they got the watermark as well because managers would see it and say, where's your check mark? Who validated this data? And it was much easier for them to have the check mark on there than to them explain who validated the data and where the data came from. <laughs> Such a great story. Uh, just a little, a little icon can make a huge world of difference. Well, you know, when people look at dashboards, the most important is in the top left corner. At the organization I was at, everybody looked in the bottom right to ensure the check mark was there. <laughs> now, uh, just to play the devil's advocate, do you feel that there's a role for reports without check marks? Or did those disappear completely? Yeah, so if you're doing one-off analysis, you don't need the whole governance and vetting. Um, if you are the subject matter expert, 
when you're doing your modeling. Um, also, data sometimes when you're coming from external sources, we can't vet that. We don't know, and you're, you're scraping the data, so to speak, from the internet. Um, we can't truly really justify putting a check mark on that data. So, yes, I believe that it's okay to have reports without check marks, those one offs or those one stories you're telling. However, if we are going through the process of seeing that same indicator or metric every month after month after month, we need to ensure that it is successful and everybody's making those decisions based off of accurate data. So it sounds like in the organizations where you worked, you may have started out uh, validating enterprise reports and uh, attaching those uh, check marks and seals. Did that percolate downward and to the point where individual lines of business or departments were doing the same thing? A hundred percent. Really? Well, that's terrific. Uh, I, I called the, the watermark or, or check mark a little uh, psyops technique, psychological operations. One little thing that you can do that can really catalyze. Oh, it certainly is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got a few other little tricks up my sleeve like that to help organizations move in the right direction. Um, well, I'll have to listen to those. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any other best practices before we leave that you'd like to comment on or that you've seen work successfully in organizations to improve governance of data and reports? I think one thing that we really need to look at is the appropriate tool. So, for example, there's lots of new tools coming out, and there's overlap between the tools, such as, you know, RPAs coming out, uh, data flows are coming out, and I know that multiple tools can do multiple things. And so we need to take a step back and say, which tool is best for the situation we're in, instead of trying to jam one tool in that's a bit gray in a certain area, even though they can do it. And so what we're working on is decision trees. So if, for example, you're trying to understand where your data is coming from, um, what can we do to make that more successful for you from the IT side? So when do you use ESB? When do you use ETL? When do you use RPA? When do you use self-service with a data work, workflow? And so we're trying to come up with decision trees to help the business make the right decision on which tool that they need to use. So... For our audience, RPA is uh, robotic process automation, right? Yes, that's really getting a lot of uh, noise and, and look out here in the organization on that today. But everybody thinks RPA can do everything, which it can do a lot, but is it the right tool for certain situations? Right, so that's usually to automate somewhat manual process, right? Um, so I'm trying to figure out how that right. intersects with uh, like, say, data pipeline workflows or self-service? A lot of times people are using RPA instead of tools like Alteryx to move their data around. But you don't have to look at Lean Six Sigma necessarily and look at your waste and look at improvements in your um, process because you just put RPA over and it doesn't matter if it takes 30 minutes or an hour or three hours at night if it runs because it's not really necessarily impacting a end user. But from an IT point of view, it's turning into a little bit of a uh, difficult situation because we are consuming resources on the IT side, whether it runs 30 minutes or three hours. But the impact to the business itself and the end user using the RPAs um, is not noticeable. 
Now, you mentioned self-service, too. Uh, I, I find a lot of organizations want to do self-service but have trouble actually executing on it. Uh, or if they do, they're almost too successful and they create all kinds of reports, many of which conflict with each other, which gets us back to the whole governance issue. Where have you seen self-service work or not work? What I, yeah, what I find interesting about self-service is um, we keep saying in IT we serve it up to a platform and the business can do what they need to do within the organization. If somebody is just running a report once a month or once every three weeks, they don't know that tool very well and they're not very efficient at using that tool. And I find that it comes back to IT to build that report for them. And again, it comes back to us making sure that we are enabling the business, have that open communication, that partnership, and that community within our own business to ensure success all the way around. So we have IT people that are available every Friday afternoon in a community room to help people create their reports or help people do their analysis or help people create their models. Um, so that they can learn from our IT, so IT is not going off and doing it for them, that they collaborate and work together, and that they build their knowledge on how the data flows. You know, that's one of the paradoxes of self-service, that it requires an awful lot of hand-holding. <laughs> you would think that... It does. <laughs> ...that you, you know, most people think, oh, self-service, just give people the tools and the data and let them have at it. It has not reduced any headcount on the IT side at all. But it has enabled the business to understand what's going on with their data and then own their data and then as well make more agile, quicker decisions because they feel that they have more autonomy being able to massage the data to a certain degree to how they need to see it. Well, Angie, I think that's a great place to conclude. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Wayne, for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.